0: Well, welcome. We're going to start a whole new series uh, today leading us up through the Christmas season and Christmas Eve called The Worst Christmas Ever. I want to welcome you here. I know there's a lot of places you could choose to be, uh, but I appreciate the fact that you've chosen to be here. And again, we want to make sure that we're saying hello to including our, our extended family, Flipside South Valley and Flipside Rapid City, South Dakota. It's good to have you guys with us. Uh, before I get into this, uh, the message, though, I want to say thank you to my friend John for grilling the bacon outside. That was really good, John. You didn't mess up bacon, which is awesome. That, that uh, wouldn't be good. I appreciate that. And to Kim and Tara uh, and their team for decorating in here. I thought they did a fantastic job making it look festive and Christmassy. Uh, one more thing before I get started with this, and this is for everybody we usually, our tradition around here at Flipside is to take a big offering around Christmas time over and above our regular tithes and offerings uh, and bless uh, individuals or groups. Um, We've done it locally and internationally throughout the years. Uh, We're going to do it a little differently this year. Uh, And first of all, let me just say this. I I have read a statistic two weeks ago that said that about 30% of Americans are still paying off last Christmas. Don't be one of those this year. And to help you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to keep all of that in perspective. So here's, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to challenge you, keep track of how much you spend on Christmas and Christmas-related stuff. And then give over and above your regular tithes offerings 10% of what you spent on your own celebration of Christmas to one of our four ministries, not not to our church, but to one of our four ministries. So whatever you spend, you spend two thousand dollars just on the whole deal. Then you take another two hundred and give it to one of these these four missions and ministries that we support. Is that clear? You understand what I'm saying? And so here's 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 what I have in mind, and, and see if if God can't do something through this. One of the ministries that we support. Very heavily is Vitas Plenis. Vitas Plenis is the organization in Guatemala that has opened five academies in the largest urban slum in Central America. One of them we purchased, and we've supported all of five of them the personnel that goes behind it, the education, the food, everything. We're very committed to that group. There was a group in the States that was created simply for fundraising for. Vetus Plenus and their ministry. says so it's the, the, the poorest of the poor in Central America. Uh, that organization has stepped out of their support. They're doing other things. Uh, and so the need at Vitas Plenus with the poorest of the poor in that largest urban slum in Central America is great now. And so that's one of the organizations that you have the opportunity, over the 10% of your Christmas stuff, going to them. The others, and, and in my mind, I thought it would be great if, if our church could, could come up with $25,000 for them at Christmas time. That'd be a big help for feeding the kids and educating the kids. The other three groups, one of them is Angels of Grace. Lisa Caseras does a wonderful job through the organization of rescuing little babies and young children out of things like meth houses and uh, sex trafficking rings that get caught up in it. And uh, she steps in and rescues these babies and gets them uh, involved with uh, foster Christian care with, with little ones in Fresno and in Madeira. Super, super great. We, we support them quite a bit. Another one is Pregnancy Care Center uh, in Fresno uh, that enables um, surprise mamas uh, to be able to hear the heartbeat of their children and, and to see them on screen and, and make informed decisions about that child's future uh, with a goal of keeping it or, 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 or birthing it and giving it up for adoption. The, the other organization is Youth for Christ. An organization that steps in the gap between prison and the street and young men and helps to uh, educate them and keep them safe and tell them about Christ and save them and get them involved in, 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 in godly churches and the group homes that are associated with them, both in Madeira and in Fresno. So those four groups, you get to choose. Whatever God has put on your heart, wherever your heart is kind of yearns towards, take 10% of what you spend on Christmas stuff and give it to one of those four groups. It's real easy. You, on our app, on our website, if you don't want to do it through uh, you know, physical ways in the church here, they're all listed there. Pick one of those four, and let's just see what God does. Got it? Got it? All right. So, in kicking off this series, The Worst Christmas Ever, when I was talking to people about the idea of this and I came up with the name The Worst Christmas Era, the response I get was like, oh, that, that doesn't sound fun at all. Um, but when you go through the Christmas story and you read it as if you don't know how it turned out, there's some major players in the Christmas story that when it started, it looked like it was going to be the worst Christmas ever, the way stuff began. And so I want to jump right into it. One of the major players in the Christmas story, Luke 1, verses 26 to 38. You'll recognize it. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. that's, that's, That's starting off pretty good right there. That's some good news, right? All right, I'll take that part. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. We'll understand why in just a minute. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. Still pretty good news. I'd love for angels to show up and say, hey, you found favor with God. He's with you. I'd be like, all right. It's going to get good now. Like at that point of the story, you don't know the rest. At that point of the story, you're probably thinking, oh, (laughs) bring it. Right? You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He'll be great and be called the son of the most high. Pretty good news. She's engaged. She's ready to get married. Obviously going to have kids. At this point, the angel doesn't tell her, oh, and by the way, he doesn't tell her what we know. He just tells her, your baby is going to be someone special. Again, pretty good news. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll be reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never come to end. She's thinking, "Man, this is the best Christmas ever, right now." Right? See, she doesn't know the story. She knows the news she's been told. How will this be? Mary asks, and it starts to click. But I, I'm a virgin. See, now it starts to make sense. Oh, you mean right now, I'm going to have a baby? The angel answered. See, something just changed. It went from the best Christmas ever. You know what? This might be the worst. The angel answered The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word, be, uh, may your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. Now, now what I want to do is I want us to think about this as if we don't know the outcome. I want, I want us to go through this in real time because that's how Mary experienced it in real time. And see, we miss so much of the wonder and the extraordinary nature and nature of God in the Bible because we don't read it in real time. We read it knowing the back story. We read it knowing the future. They lived it in real time. So let me give you a little context before I give you the content. Mary somewhere between 14 and 16 years old. She's a young, uh, uh, just a baby. You've heard the phrase babies having babies? She's ready to commit her life, though, to the man she loves. And Mary, standing on the beginnings of a wedding, of a marriage, she has her own hopes. She has her own dreams of the upcoming marriage. She has her own ideas of what the future holds for the man she loves and her future family. She's ready to make vows. She's ready to make commitments. She's ready to make the promise for better or for worse. And every one of us who have made that promise for better or for worse thought, if it comes down to the worst, the worst certainly isn't going to be at my hand. Right? And then she realizes. Hold on now. Perhaps this isn't the best Christmas ever right now. It's supposed to be the happiest time of the year. We understand that. But it didn't start that way for Mary. And I bet there was something, there was something that could have been viewed. This is the worst Christmas ever. See, here's why. Because the pain, the potential pain in this story is not just in her fear that her hopes and her dreams of her marriage and her family have suddenly come to an end with the news of this pregnancy. But it also comes in what she probably, just put yourself in her position for a minute the fear and trepidation that she at some level had to have felt of what could happen when Joseph finds out that she's pregnant and he knows he's not the daddy. See, we read this story knowing what came. We read this story having already read Matthew 1. But at this point in the story, Mary's the only one who knows she's pregnant. At this point in the story, she hadn't been through what we read in Matthew 1. And at this point in Mary's story, she is not aware that Joseph will eventually have his own angelic visitation, assuring him of God's plan and of her integrity, of her purity, and of her virtue. She doesn't know any of that. Imagine for a moment her fear and her trepidation over not on just what she's gaining in this child, but what she's potentially losing and a husband, and a family, and a future. Imagine her feelings. Joseph doesn't know what she has just experienced. She has no idea that he's going to know from God himself about what's going on. Imagine how she may have felt having to be the one to tell Joseph what was going down. Potentially the worst Christmas ever. You tracking with me? The angel said, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You call him Jesus, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That seems to be pretty good news. But let's put it in perspective. We're talking about an unplanned pregnancy and a wedding ceremony that will never happen. That sounds like bad news. Right? Right? Now, on the back end of that bad news is the good news. Your child's going to be called the son of the most high. Your kid's going to be the great one. He's going to have both a throne and a kingdom that will never end. Well, that's good news. Here's what, as I look at this story, pretending like I don't know the outcome, as I just read the text, here's something that I've, I've got to know and I want you to remember. Though things may start bad, when God shows up, they get good. It doesn't mean that they don't start bad. But even when they start bad, when God shows up, they get good. Now, here's why we got to be very careful. If you call yourself a Christ follower, here's why you got to be very careful not to pay too much attention to the bad news. Because when things start out as the worst Christmas ever, when the bottom drops out, when everything falls apart, when what you hope for is gone forever, we got to pay attention, not just to the bad news, but we got to pay attention to the fact that there's good news attached to the bad news. Now, on the back end of the bad news, when God's in the mix of it, there's good news coming. But our tendency is to always focus on the bad news. That's our tendency. No matter what God says of the good news that's coming, our tendency is focus on the bad news up front. I guarantee you, if you look at this story, there's a tendency to get stuck on the fact that this poor little teenage unwed girl showed up pregnant. Our, our tendency is if we get bad news, and if there, even if there's a but attached to the end of the bad news with some good news, our initial focus will be on the bad news. And we'll think like this, well, if it's going to get good anyway, why do we have to go through the bad to get to the good? Why can't God just start with the good? Right? Right? I mean, we love Romans eight twenty eight For God works all the things together for the good of those who love him called according to his purpose. That's great. But why, do they, why does he have to work out bad stuff to get the good stuff? If he's God, why does he just get to the good stuff? So let me tell you how to not let the bad news control your emotions and your faith. Here, here's how to not let the bad news control your emotions and your faith. So we've got to know, we've got to be convinced that God is already through your bad news and is on the other side with good news. That's what we got to know. Though things may start as the worst Christmas ever, once Jesus gets involved, everything changes. God ain't so worried about the bad news Because he's already been through what you just got into. If you're a Christ follower. And I love Mary's response. I love her response. Verse 34. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin. She said, how? How is this going to happen? See, Mary never asked for a sign To prove that God was telling the truth. Mary never asked for confirmation about anything. So her question, how will this be? Because she never asked for a sign of proof. This question is not a sign of unbelief. This question. Hers was a question of curiosity, not of unbelief. And there's a vast difference. Hers was a question of curiosity, not of unbelief. See, usually when we get bad news, we want to know, God, if we were to speak of it to him in the vernacular, we say, God, you got some explaining to do. Like, I don't understand why you would. I don't understand how you would. I don't get the fact that you would allow. Like, it's it's all this unbelief. Like, God, how could you? Hers was not a question of unbelief. Hers was a question of curiosity. And get this, God likes curious followers. Because curious followers are followers who are eager to see how God is going to, not ones who sit and question what he's done. Vast difference. And see, especially when God takes His kids through the valley of the shadow of death, especially when he takes his kids through the storms and the ragers that frighten and scare and make everybody else doubt. When his kids get curious about how he's gonna manifest his presence, when his kids get curious about how he's gonna deliver, when his kids get curious about how he's going to reveal, when his kids get curious about how, what, in what way this time you're gonna show yourself, that's what I call sanctified curiosity and that's when god responds with activity god always responds with activity when his kids respond with sanctified curiosity because it's vastly different than doubt and unbelief and it's that sanctified curiosity. God, I don't understand it. God, I don't like it. God, I'd have done it differently. But God, I'm so excited to watch how you're going to show up. I'm so excited to see how you're going to pull this one out. I'm so excited to see how you're going to make this one happen. And that, with that sanctified curiosity, is the precursor to a peace that passes understanding. You feel me? See, when we respond with doubt and fear, we want an explanation. And the only way we experience peace that passes an explanation is to respond with sanctified curiosity. God, I don't see it, but I know. And it's going to be so fun to watch your hand at work. Our problem, is that we're more apt to respond with doubt than curiosity. Right? So the next time that the bad news sneaks up on you and you know that God is with you, get curious about how God. Just get curious. It's bad news, but I got to smile because I'm curious. I've never been this way before. God, you're doing something I don't... Oh, boy. (laughs) I'm sure curious how you're going to pull this one out. And see, in, in verse 38, this is her response. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She accepts her role Without question. Okay. See, this little girl, this little Mary, was a model of faith even though she didn't understand. What a hero. What a champion. See, Mary reminds us that God acts mercifully and redemptively all the time but it just requires eyes of faith to see. it. And when we close our eyes of faith, we stop being curious and we start doubting. When we shut our eyes of faith, we stop being curious and we start being fearful. Eyes of faith, see God's work, and in the midst of not understanding, get curious as to how God. See, as I was reading this, uh, reading this account in, in Luke 1, verses 46 through 55, you, you, you read on. And, and, and Mary composes a song. And theologians call this song Mary's Magnificat. It's her song. And as a response to everything she's experienced from God and about God and about His character and His hand and His work, she pens this song. And the thing that's so interesting to me about this song that Mary pens is all she's doing is echoing a song that was penned a thousand years earlier by an old lady named Hannah who was barren and couldn't conceive. And she was visited by God, Hannah was, and said, you're going to bear a son Through your marriage, you're going to bear a son. And she scripts this beautiful song about God's faithfulness and about his character and how he elevates the humble and tears down the proud. And when Mary gets her own visitation about an even greater work of a virgin being pregnant, she pens a song that nearly mirrors a song a thousand years prior of a woman of God. You know what that tells me? Don't miss it don't miss it. What that tells me is this little teenage girl knew her scriptures. That's what it tells me. It tells me that this little 14, 15, 16-year-old pregnant girl, she knew her Bible. She spent time daily in the Word. How else was she to know the song of Hannah and script it back to God if she didn't know her scriptures? This young Mary knew her Bible. One of the things that I realized about Mary and Joseph, Jesus' earthly parents, the one thing, the one thing that they had in common, and we'll see it fully next week. I'm gonna show you something about Joseph I don't think you've ever realized. You've read it over, you've never realized. I'm gonna show you something about Joseph next week. But the one thing I see in them is that they were both people, the one thing that held them in common, they were both people who knew their scriptures. They weren't just good people. They were people who knew their scriptures. And so I got to thinking. Perhaps, perhaps the key to blessed parenting is parents who are continually in the Bible. Parents who read it, parents who study it, parents who know it, parents who make it a priority, and parents who teach it to their children. See, you cannot know the God of it if you don't know it. And perhaps good parenting is not about teaching kids to be good, but rather it's about teaching kids the scriptures. Amen. See when I think of Mary in the days leading up to Jesus' birth, I see this young woman who is keenly aware of the character of God, both from her experience and from what the scriptures taught her. And you see a young woman who was keenly aware of the character of God, who was very aware that God was the God who blesses his people, that God was the where uh, was the God that keeps His promises. She understood, was keenly aware, that God was the God who lifts up the humble and reduces the proud. Now she was living it, but she knew it ahead of time because she had read it in her scriptures. See, Mary was able to keep her eye on the good news that was attached to the bad news because Mary knew that though this season might start out as the worst Christmas ever, she knew that once Jesus showed up, it wasn't going to stay that way. See, when Jesus shows up, See, this ain't about wishful thinking. This ain't about being good. This ain't about getting all your done. So when Jesus shows up, things go from the worst to the unimaginably good. How do I know that? I don't because I read the Bible. Because the Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has in store. So go on with your bad news. I know my God. And here's why Mary, here, here, here's when it clicked for Mary. Here's when it clicked for Mary that no matter the bad news, I'm okay. Here's when it clicked. It clicked, it clicked before I, when the whole thing started in verse 28. Verse 28. The angel went to and said, Greetings. You who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Right then. Boom, she knew. Here's why. She knew. When the angel told her, You are highly favored, this is what she knew. She knew that that word meant God's favorite. She knew right then that God just declared her his favorite. Go on and tell me what else you're going to tell me. Don't matter. I'm God's favorite. You know how she knew that? Because she knew her scriptures. See, she knew that the angel had just used a word that was never used before in all of Scripture. God never said that about anybody else in the whole history of his people. He had never used this phrase for anybody else. And so the moment the angel said, you are God's favorite automatically right then she knew god just put me on a different level than anybody else i'm good she knew her scriptures if god had been so good to everybody in his like to all of his people in the past generations if god had always always been always always if god had been that good to everybody else And he just said, I'm more favored than all of them. Man, I can't imagine how good this is going to get. You understand? Then you said, Mary, you're God's favorite and God is with you. Now, listen, if Mary was God's favorite and God was with her, who amongst us would think that God would not redeem any bad news? Right? Is, God's gonna, is God going to leave his favorite hanging? Is God going to walk out on his favorite? Now watch. Never before had this word been used of anybody in all the scripture. Now, now, now my, my, my Catholic friends get this part right. There's a lot they don't, but this part they get right. When they talk about, you know, blessed are you Mary... They call her the mother of God, which she wasn't the mother of God. God doesn't have a mama, but, you know, Jesus had an earthly mama, but God doesn't. And, and they talk about Mary being, you know, the highly favored one. She was. The Bible says it. She's highly favored. But but, 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 but listen now. Don't, don't let this part slip you. See, I got really good news for you this morning. I got really good news. That even though things might start as the worst Christmas ever, if you're in Christ, they don't necessarily stay that way. And here's why. Up to this point in the Bible, who was God's favorite? Okay, listen, I I feel like I've made it pretty clear. No, 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 like like after Luke 1, who, who was God's favorite? Yeah, yeah. Like, be confident. I feel like, I, like I, I was pretty clear that Mary was his favorite, wasn't I? Uh, yeah, so so up to this point, like, there's been one that's been God's favorite. But but, but here's why you got to know the Bible. So you take Ephesians 1 and match it up with Luke 1. Because in Luke 1, we hear there's one person who's God's favorite. But then all of a sudden, Ephesians 1 happens. And Ephesians 1, chapter, uh, verse 6 says this. Now, get this now to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Let me unpack that for you. To the praise of God's grace. What his grace is, is his favor and blessing that are undeserved and unmerited. It's the fact that you and I didn't deserve it. We certainly don't and we haven't earned it. We haven't at all. But because of his grace, he has, he's blessed us in the beloved. Who's the beloved? Christ. So if we're in Christ, because of God's grace, he's done something. If we have a relationship with Christ by faith, Because of God's grace, he's done some. And what has he done? He has declared us the blessed ones. Now, here's here's the important thing now. Here's what this means. That word blessed us means highly favored us. There's one other place in all of the Bible where that very word is used. And it's back in Luke 1 when the angel said, Mary, you are God's favorite. Here in Ephesians 1, 6, it applies to everybody who has faith in Christ. Now we, you, me, are God's favorite just like Mary was. (laughs) not because I've deserved it, not because I've earned it. Matter of fact, I've earned not being it more than I've earned it. But because of grace, whatever pedestal you put Mary on, now you're there with her. (laughs) That amazes me. It's the exact same word. Once Mary was told that you are his, whatever came after that, it ain't no bad news. I'm God's favorite. Are you kidding me? Whatever comes after that, I know is going to be redeemed. Whatever comes out, I know God's going to work together for good. So go on with yourself about my bad news. You don't bother me. I'm not going to get wrapped up in your bad news about me or my future because I know that I'm God's favorite. So even in the worst Christmas ever, once Jesus shows up, right, everything changes. So now understand, now you and I know what Mary knew. Now understand this, you and I stand right from this point forward. Like wherever you are in life right now, from if you got a relationship with Jesus by faith, what because of God's grace, what, like whatever you are, like from this point forward, You know what Mary knew. That in Christ, you ready? You're his favorite and he's with you. And if you're his favorite and he's with you, who among us would think that God's not going to redeem bad news? You believed it for Mary. Believe it for you. And in the midst of your bad news, respond with sanctified curiosity. And so the question that we're left with is, have I invited Jesus into my life? Have I invited Jesus into my broken dreams? Have I invited Jesus into my dysfunction? Have I invited Jesus into my severed relationships? Have I invited Jesus into my dashed hopes? Have I invited Jesus into my lack and into my need? See, the things that may start as the worst ever, even though they may look bleak and over, what we learn from Mary is I'm going to invite Jesus in the midst of it. I'm going to invite Jesus into my life and all those things of my life. I'm going to invite Jesus into my bad news because he may just create new life. And I know because I've read the Bible that he will grant a peace that passes understanding. And I know because I've read the Bible that he'll grant the strength to get you through the bad news until he brings good times. Now, as I'm talking about this, I was thinking to myself this morning and praying and I thought, you know, there's probably going to be some people who are gonna, who would ask if you had the opportunity, they'd ask me, well, how long do I got to wait? You know how long I've been waiting? How long do I got to wait for the good news to come? Because I got some bad news that have been with me a long time. I don't know. I mean, when you think about it in the context of Mary, because that's what we're talking about, she had to wait on the short end 33 years. Because she was told that she believed it, but she didn't see the realization up until the resurrection. She had to wait 33 years. But see, at the heart of it, this is the Christmas story. During really difficult times, biblically, during really difficult times, personally for Mary and nationally for Israel, during really difficult times for you and me, this is the heart of the Christmas story. That when it looks like things go from bad to worse, when Jesus shows up, he changes the worst to the wonderful. Do you understand? This is the way God works. This is the way it went down for Mary. And this is the way it will go down for Joseph. It's going to start with some bad news, but Jesus is going to show up and going to get real good. This is the way it will go for Anna, little old lady waiting for stuff to happen. This is the way it will go down for Simeon, a little old man waiting for stuff to happen. This is the way it has gone down for me, and this is the way it can go down for you. You know why? because by faith, because of God's grace. We're His favorite. And so, my encouragement for this morning is invite Jesus in. Invite Him in. Invite Him into your bad news. Trust Him. And let Him change the worst of the now into the wonderful of His plans. If you have a relationship with Christ, you need to start viewing God as so gracious that He would choose you to be His favorite so that in the midst of your bad news, you respond with a sanctified curiosity. God, I cannot wait to see how you pull this off somehow. But on the other side of that equation, if you've not responded with faith because of God's grace and invite Jesus into your life, you stand outside that favor. and encourage you not to sacrifice that any longer. There's nothing better than standing under the shadow of the umbrella of His grace. as His favorite one. And then have the ability to look at bad news with sanctified curiosity. I want you to pray with me. Father, I thank you that you love us and have pursued us. That you still pursue us. Thank you that by faith, because of your grace, that we can stand as people who are chosen and favored by you. And thank you that because of that grace and that favor, We can look at even bad news with a sanctified curiosity that says, God, I don't know how, but I know you will. And rest in the knowledge and affirmation and confirmation of that. You are so good. Father, there are some of us in this place right now that are staring down the barrel of bad news. And for us, this Christmas season has not started as the best ever. It's actually started, quite frankly, as the worst ever. But God, for those of us have a relationship with you, we trust that you'll move that bad news somehow to good news. That what starts out as the worst ever will become the best ever according to Your plan, according to Your kingdom. And I pray that You would help us respond with that curiosity, the expectation of Your goodness and grace. We trust You. Now let me just take a little bit of liberty here for those of you who haven't yet accepted Jesus as your Savior who have not invited Him into your heart. Not about being good. Not about behaving yourself. It's about giving up control and it's called surrender. It begins with admitting our sin. Sin is anything outside God's parameters and every one of us that lived in it for a long time. And in the midst of that, your realization of saying, God, I admit I'm a sinner. I've broken your word. I've broken your law and I'm sorry. And then saying, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. Took my place. So my sin can be forgiven. And in response to that, I commit myself to you. I want you to be the leader of my life. I want you to help me grow in what it is to becoming faithful. And I give myself to you. Just tell him, say, God, I don't want to be outside your favor. And so by your mercy and grace, accept me because you love me. Remember, when Jesus shows up, it changes everything. Father, I thank You. I thank You that we have the opportunity to know You. I thank You that You don't stand in judgment over our failure. I thank You that You've offered us forgiveness of it all. Father, I thank You that though things may start as bad news, for some of us, we know that you're in the business of recreation. That you bring about good news out of bad news. That you work all things together for the good of those who love you called call according to your purpose. That though other people mean things for evil, you turn it for good. That no weapon that's ever formed against me, by man or by devil, will ever stand against me. Father, thank you. And Father, some of us stand here and wait with anticipation, in curiosity. Excited to see how you're going to move and how you're going to step in and how you're going to intervene and how you're going to renew and how you're going to rebirth. Well, some of us are really excited to see that. We don't see it yet. We don't understand it yet, but we're excited to see what you do. So, God, do. God, do. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Hey, listen. It's going to be a good series. I'm going to tell you where we're headed. Next week, we're going to look at Joseph. And there's some stuff about Joseph that's going to surprise you. And then we're going to look at this old lady named Anna. Anytime you get an old lady in church, good stuff's going to happen. We need more old ladies in church. And then we're going to look at this guy named Simeon. He's an old boy. And again, anytime you get an old man in church, if they're not crotchety, they're pretty good people. It's going to be fun looking at these, at these four as we go through this. We're going to wrap it up with Jesus. I just want you to remember, even if stuff starts bad, once Jesus shows up, man, it gets good. So invite him in. You understand? I'm going to tell you one more thing. Christmas is one of those two times of the year people actually come to church that don't normally show up. And so you got people in your huddle that don't normally show up to church. Invite them. You got it. All right. I love you. It's going to be fun. We ready to sing? We ready to whack the drums?